0: 6, Hebrews chapter 6, I'm trying to finish the chapter this morning, uh, we, uh, we had uh, on the bus, I had somebody ask me yesterday, uh, well I shouldn't say ask me, I heard it through somebody, asked somebody else, and uh, they said, well what do you do when you're gone for all that time, you know, you miss church and all that, trust me, people on the bus did not miss church. I, I kind of feel bad on the schedule for them, every day I scheduled what I called devotions, now, if anybody's on the trip, you know that that never happened. I don't know what a devotion is. Uh, when I start preaching, I don't—I mean, half an hour is, is a devotion, right? I mean, I—they basically got nine sermons every day. We had a—we had a message on the bus. Ended up just doing it right on the bus with a microphone and everything. Had a wonderful time. By the way, we had several people on our trip uh, not from our church, and I, I had an opportunity to share the gospel with those people, and that was a, that made a wonderful. Uh, little evangelistic outreach on the trip. And so uh, you should probably know that if you plan one of these trips, if you say, well, we may, if we miss a Sunday, we'll miss church. <laughs> no, you won't. You, I, I'm preaching. It's Sunday morning. You're getting it. That, I mean, I just think that's the way it should be. Amen? And so don't forget. Don't worry about that. Hebrews chapter 6. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> People on the bus are now now rebelling. Yeah, Justin said it. One, one, one morning I preached, in th- I preached as we drove through three different states. That is true. We were in South Dakota, not far from the border of Nebraska. Uh, we went to also to Wyoming because we were only like 15 miles from Wyoming and people hadn't been to Wyoming. So we drove to Beulah, Wyoming. Since we have our own bus, we can do stuff like that. And let people off in a gas station in Beulah so they can say they were in Wyoming. Woohoo! And so on the same thing happened on the way back, we were right near Nebraska, so we drove across the line. I was speaking when we were leaving South Dakota, when we drove through Nebraska, and then into Iowa, I was still preaching. And so they like to say, he preached all the way through three states. Yes, still was about a half hour, 45 minutes, whatever. Uh, but it was a great time. Hebrews chapter 6. Let me get to the chapter. Hebrews chapter 6. We talked about the, the, the concept behind this chapter. Really the whole first part of Hebrews chapter, the, the book of Hebrews, is this concept of spiritual growth. And is Paul, and I believe Paul wrote in Hebrews. Is Paul basically saying to, to, uh, to those Christians uh, that are scattered abroad, these Hebrew churches, uh, those who've converted from Judaism to Christianity. He's basically telling those persons, here's a simple message. Wonderful! You got saved. You understand some basic truths, but don't stop growing. Now, by the way, that is a problem. I don't care if it's a Hebrew church. I don't care if it's a, uh, a, a, a Gentile church. I don't care if it's an American church or Vietnamese church. I don't care what your. is always a problem in church. There is a tendency for people to get to a comfortable place in a Christian living where they stop growing spiritually. Now, most of us won't admit it, but it is true probably in most of our lives. there is. There, how many of you know what I'm saying when I say this? There are typically in Christians' lives plateaus that we hit, and we kind of level off for a while. Amen? Would you at least admit to that? I'm not saying you're not. I'm saying there's no active growth. When I first got saved, man, I studied the Bible. I went to Bible college. I was growing, everything. But as I became a youth pastor early on, uh, back in, uh, that would have been 1978, 77, as a youth pastor, I was more, uh, was more concerned with telling those kids what I know than learning more and telling them. You understand what I'm saying? I was more at a level plane, and I kind of got stuck there. Uh, I, I blamed it mainly because I was working with young people, you know, and you don't want to go too deep with young people. Well, that's not true, by the way. Young people... Are same thing like most people. You have different spiritual levels in your youth department. I work with single adults. You had different spiritual levels in your single adult department. Uh, I work with young married couples. Same thing, and I work with senior citizens. Same thing. There are those who are new Christians. There's those who are baby Christians. Those who Christians who have stunted their growth. They've never grown anymore. They got satisfied with their living. Are you really? The question is this: Are you growing? Yeah, I know it's to the Hebrew Christians, but are you personally still growing spiritually? Are you making that effort? And that's what we were talking about. If you remember a few weeks ago, I took Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, and I kind of uh, gave you two different translations of that, okay? Uh, I I guess I would say my translations. uh, Because there's a debate whether this was written to Christians in general, to to all believers, or whether it was written specifically to Hebrew believers. It really, let me, can I tell you something? It doesn't matter. The message is the same. You know what the message is? Can I give you Hebrews chapter 6 verses 1 through 8 in two words? Listen closely. Grow up. Grow up. That's what he's saying. That's what Paul's saying. Look, it's time for you to grow up. Quit majoring on the minors and start learning more. Start growing spiritually. Get to the place. I, I love it. I love it when people say things about pastors like Pastor Monty or even sometimes about me. Oh boy, I wish I understood the Bible like you do. Can I tell you something? Wishing will not get it done. Right? You can wish all you want, but that's not going to get, get it done. You have to study. You can know the Bible as well as Pastor Monty knows it. <clears throat> now, I will say this. Pastor Monty does have an unusual uh, depth of intelligence when it comes to scriptural things. I, I, don't, he's, he, I, I will freely admit he understands biblical truth in a way that I don't understand it. Uh, he, he has grown spiritually to a point where uh, sometimes I have to listen, he 'll be preaching and I'll go, "What? What did you I have to rethink. Do I agree with that? Do I? How many of you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's at that level <coughs> Excuse me, throat's a little dry this morning. It's at that level uh, where it's a little difficult to me, and I, I deal more on a practical plane. Most of you know me. Uh, I try to talk about daily Christian living. I think it's great if you have a higher knowledge of the Bible, but if you're not living it, that bothers me, right? And so we all have different spiritual planes, but we all all need to grow up. That's the idea. When you get to these last few verses, we study verses one through eight, so I'm not gonna stay there, Uh, but when you get to these last few verses, go to chapter, uh, verse nine, chapter six, verse nine. Paul says this, uh, basically you need to grow up, you need to leave those first principles, you need to move on to spiritual growth. And then he says this in verse nine, but beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which you have showed toward his name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Paul's basically saying this to the church. He's saying, look, I'm not saying you're not serving. By the way, I'm not saying that either. I'm not saying you're not doing well. I'm not saying you're not ministering as you should. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying we could do better if we understood better, Right? And this level of spiritual growth should happen. Uh, when we were on the trip, I had somebody, I had actually two or three people. Uh, we talked about this trip and we were signing people up for a trip. And I had two or three people call me. Uh, one was a text, two, two different people called me and asked me this question. Here's the question. What is the dress code for the trip? How many of you like that question? What is the dress code for the trip? You know what my answer was? You're senior citizens. You should know how to dress moderate, modestly. And I'm not going to set a line for you. Dress appropriate. I, I assume this. I assume you're mature Christian adults. That's something that, that's basically what Paul is saying. There was a time where I had to say, when I was a youth pastor, how many of you know I had a dress code? I had a, how long your skirts had to be, how, you know, how uh, covered your top had to be, how long your hair had to be. I had, you know why I had to do that? Because there are immature Christians in a youth department that will come half naked if you let them. I'm serious. I'm, you say, you don't mean half naked. Yes, yes I do. Uh, I, remember, I remember more than once where a young lady or young man came to, a, to an event inappropriately dressed and I sent them home. That's a place of spiritual maturity. On this trip, I didn't have a dress, dress standard because I'm assuming spiritual maturity. I did not say to everybody, this is your seat, you get this air adults, find a seat. And you know what? I didn't have anybody come up to me during the whole trip. Now, I'm trying to tell you the difference. I didn't have anybody come to the trip, trip, the whole trip and say, I wanted to sit on the right side of the bus, but nobody let me sit on the right side of the bus. I can't believe they let me sit on the right side of the bus. I, I never got a window seat. and I had to, that ne- Nobody ever said that to me. Nobody said to me, I wanted to be in the front seat. They didn't let me be in the front seat, but they, oh boy, they let the Millers in the front seat. I don't understand what the Millers got the front seat. They must like... None of that happened. Why didn't that happen? Why didn't it happen? Okay, you're dealing with spiritually mature. By the way, you should be dealing with spiritually. A lot of those little, and I got to thinking about this this morning. I didn't have any problem. I don't remember anybody squabbling. Nobody said to me during the trip, nobody came up to me and said, well, I didn't really want to go there. But I mean, if you wanted to go there, I mean, I don't know why we had to drive to Wyoming and spend half an hour driving to Wyoming. I didn't want to go. Never happened. Nobody argued about the snacks. We had little snacks. We were getting. Nobody said, "Well, I didn't get a little, little Debbie oatmeal pie." You, now you laugh, but laugh if you want to. But to me, that is actually a sign of spiritual maturity. The the, the peace and the uh, I mean the, the beauty of that trip. Everybody getting along. Everybody having a good time. That says something about the spiritual maturity level of the people. When I say spiritual maturity, a lot of people have this high, exalted thinking that you think on a higher biblical plane. No, no, no. In practical levels, spiritual maturity is shown. Right? You, you know how to live. You know how to get along with people. You don't cause problems. You don't always respond to a joke and a negative. You know, sometimes you ride on a bus with us, you're going to get cut. I'm just going to tell you. Somebody's going to say something smart. I, I got... Uh, where, uh, Erica's not in here. Erica must have jumped on me five or six times on that trip. And I was like, okay, honey, let's go. You know, and, and that is, but it's, it's, it's just joking around. And nobody's feelings were hurt. Why is that? Different level of spiritual maturity. I could take that same trip. Listen to me. I could take that same trip with a busload of teenagers. Nine days, eight nights with teenagers on the bus. How many of you know how much fun we would have had when that bus broke down in Illinois? Anybody think we would have had any complaining? Our people were actually excited. I mean, it was like, oh, another event. (laughs) It's like, all right, everybody calm down. Uh, But it was great. So that's what we're talking about. When I talk about spiritual maturity, I'm talking about on a practical level. There should be some practical outworkings of your spiritual maturities. Not, I know the Bible better than everybody else, and therefore everybody ought to be like me. That's not spiritual maturity. You understand what I'm saying? And so... When I talk about this, sometimes we, we, we elevate it to some weird high plane, or at least we think it's a higher plane. No, no. It comes true in practical Christian living. How you treat people where you work. Uh, we play pickleball a lot of times on Monday nights. How you, how you win and lose in a game like that. That's pra- that. That shows a level of spiritual maturity. How you parent. How you grandparent. Ugh. Ugh. I thought parenting was hard. Grandparenting is just as hard as parenting only difference is they're not there all the time. But when they're there, how many grandparents are like me you're always thinking about? i got a responsibility. I have to teach this. I have to say that. I have to be here. I have, yeah, it never lets up. And it, By the way, I need to ask some of you. Is great-grandparenting the same? Is it the same? I don't know. How many, great, how many great-grandparents? We do have great-grandparents. Wow. You people are not old enough. Really? Some of the people raised their hand. I'm like, I don't, I'm not saying I don't believe you. I'm just saying you're younger than me. How, anyway, I don't know if I'm not going to ask any more questions. That, that could get embarrassing. Okay, so that's what he's talking about. Leaving the, leaving the principle, the basic truths and now beginning to practice the truths that you know. Okay, so when he gets to verse 10, he, he makes that concept that you're, you're still doing well, but you need to do better in those areas. Verse 11, And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. In other words, Okay, there's this, and, and I mentioned it before, there's this level of spiritual growth that happens when you first get saved, or should happen. I mean, you want to know, you're studying, you're learning new things, it's exciting, right? How many of you remember that? You remember that? And I, I remember that. And every time I went to church, it was like, wow, I didn't know that. Wow, that's something new. Wow. That should never happen. That, that level of diligence should take you all the way through the end of your life. You should always want to know more. You should always be studying more. We do special things at our church, whether it's the, uh, the prophecy class that uh, uh, Brother Reffitt taught, or whether it's in the auditorium where Pastor Wall, myself, and I, by the way, we finished that. I think we finished that this week. I do joy this week. We're doing biblical virtues this, uh, for eight weeks. And we have opportunities for you to learn not just what is, not, not just you should be joyful, but what does that mean? How is that practically experienced in your life? You should want to know those things. You should look for those examples. When I give you notes like this, you should probably keep that and write on it. You should take the notes in Sunday school and in worship service. You should be looking for that. That's all Paul's saying. Don't just be satisfied where you are. Grow up. Again, look at verse 12. He goes on to say that you be not slothful, but followers of them who through, patience and in, uh, who through faith and patience uh, inherit the promises. Now, he's gonna make this, this little... Um, Uh, What I want to call this statement at the end, and he's going to tell you about two immutable things. The word immutable is a good word. It just means unchangeable. There's two things that cannot change. Right now, I want you to see if you can figure what those two things are. He's going to list. He's going to give you one obvious. But there's two things that do not change. And by the way, if it's true that these two things do not change, then you can depend on it. Right. You can depend on things that don't change Uh, in our in our society, in our life anymore. Everything changes. Uh, nobody in here argues with me when I say America is changing. Right? I was born in the 1950s and America has changed drastically from 1950s uh, to the 2020s. Amen? And people have changed and what's acceptable has changed and styles have changed. Styles have changed and changed back and changed again. I, always, I think styles are hilarious. Kids are wearing bell bottoms now. <laughs> like, Oh, yeah, that's new. Wow, you're... What a great idea. I never thought about that. Do you guys know that in high school, I probably shouldn't tell this, I actually had a pair of bell bottoms that covered my shoes. How many of you know what exactly? It's 1970s, you know, you guys, 60s and 70s, you remember that. I, I actually, had, and as a boy, as a man, where, where they bloom out at the knee and go down and... <laughs> yeah. Some of you know it. See, you know. You know. By the way, I also had long red hair And that came down across my eye, and I did this a lot in high school. Can you see me? Can you see me seriously? What in the world? I I showed some people some photos on the bus, and now they're making fun of me. But that's okay. Things change. We need some things that don't change. i tell you what. This book doesn't change. People are trying too desperately to change it, and I'm getting tired of it. Right? Uh, the way we worship really doesn't change. Amen. Maybe I should say it this way. Shouldn't change. Amen. Uh, I like Faith Baptist Church. We're a traditional, fundamental Baptist church in style and worship. You cannot say we're anything but conservative. Be careful of change. I mean, there's some things that shouldn't change. So he's going to give you two immutable things that don't change. Listen to these. These are good. Look at verse 13. He said, for when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, sa- saying, surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. In other words, God made a promise to Abraham, right? That, that seed will be as the sand of the sea. Did God keep his promise? That's a yes or a no. Did God keep his promise? Yes, God kept his promise. And he makes this little statement. He said, God swore, since there was no higher power to swear by, God swore by himself. In other words, because I am God, I will keep my word. We would say, I don't believe in swearing, but we, if we were swear, we would say, uh, on my oath, I swear on the Bible, or I swear to God. Somebody said say, I swear on my mother's grave. I wouldn't do that. Uh, but we, we swear by lower power. There's no other higher power than you could swear. To, I swear to God, if you say that, by the way, be careful what you're saying. God does not take that lightly, even though you might take it lightly. But there's no other higher power. So God swore by his own name. I will keep my promise. And he kept his promise to Abraham. Look at verse, uh, verse uh, 16. For men verily swear by the greater, in other words, something better than higher than himself, an oath for a confirmation is to them uh, an end of all strife. Uh, you ever had this happen? You say, no, I'll do it. And they say, no, I don't think you will. No, I really will do it. I promise you I'll do it. Eh, I don't know if I can trust you. I swear that I'll do it. In other words, now you're going to a higher level. We swear to the high. Well, when God swears, <laughs> there is no higher level. <coughs> he can only swear about himself. Okay, so you'll get it here in a minute. Let me, let me keep moving. Verse... Uh, yeah, verse seventeen, wherein God willingly, willing, more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of His counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things, in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope which is set before us. Now, stop for a second. So, what does that mean? Two immutable things. Well, there are two immutable things. One of them. Uh, In fact, I haven't even looked at the notes. Uh, The first part of your notes, by the way, is just a review of last week. So go, go all the way to page 60 on your notes, page 60. If you're new in our class, you can get the old notes. If you just send me an email, I'll be glad to attach those and send them to you. Just my name. I mean, uh, M. Hunsucker, M. Hunsucker at faithbaptistchurch.com. You can't miss it, okay? Uh, right in the middle of that page, you see what it says in verse 17? Everybody with me in that paragraph? In verse 17, the writer says that God did all this for Abraham, that the heirs might know the dependability of God's counsel and promise. Well, who are the heirs? According to verse 18, all true believers are heirs. You know that, right? This you already know. You guys know that you're an heir you got adopted into a family. Amen? You, that should be a heavy amen. You don't deserve adoption into that family, but praise God, you were adopted in that family when you accepted Christ. All true believers are heirs, and for we are Abraham's children by faith. You read Galatians chapter three. So the two immutable, there, there are two immutable or unchangeable things that give us assurance. One is God's promise. Now, most of you know, I remember, I remember when I went to Bible college, at the Bible college I went to, out front of the Bible College, there's a big stone uh, marker that says, on the one side, it says Baptist Bible College. I was there for about a year before I ever looked at the back side of that stone. You remember that, Becky? You remember what's on the back? Most kids do once you see it. Uh, I, never, I never noticed that because it's facing the road and it was out in the front of the college uh, where you hardly never went. But I remember one day walking back through the back, uh, back through the college and I was on that side of the building, mainly because that's where the girls' dorms were and I wasn't allowed to be. Uh, so I remember that. Uh, but I remember that verse. And on the back of that stone, there is a, a scripture. It says Titus 1-2. Anybody know what Titus 1-2 says? Okay. We'll look at it real quick. Uh, it's, it's, you can go just go back to the... Well, I went the wrong way. Um, and it, it basically says this. In hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot not lie, hath promised before the world began. If God makes an oath, will God keep his oath? Yes, God cannot lie. One of the most immutable things, unchangeable things for you, this word is still true. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what people, uh, how people degrade it. I don't care what, how people try to mistranslate it. I don't call them translation. I call them mistranslations. Uh, I don't care how they miss. this is the truth. And it's the truth because God said it and God can't lie. I have to always remember that. In my, I, I think back on passage of scripture a lot of times in my life. Uh, you know, like uh, uh, Romans eight twenty eight. You know, for we all know that uh, for. I'm having trouble getting ahead of myself again. I haven't preached in Sunday school in some a little. Uh, for we know that all things work together for good to them to love God. Them are called according to His purpose. I know that's a biblical truth, right? And I know that, like I said before, God is good, God is working good, and God is working good in my life. I know that, but I have to remind myself of that truth sometimes, don't you? I have to remind myself, God said, this is good. When I, am, I, I get sick, like the other day, you know, a Meniere's attack, you get nausea, you get vertigo, your head, the whole world is spinning around. Uh, you start, if you're like me, I start throwing up. I throw up until I can't throw up anymore. Then I have the dry heaves. When I'm laying on the bathroom floor, having dry heaves, do you think I'm thinking, this is good? This is for my good. Can I tell you something? In some way, it is. I don't know how many times I've talked to people. Here's an interesting thing. Before people knew I had that, nobody ever said anything to me about it. Now there's probably 10 or 15 people in our church that have the same problem, and we've talked about it and had a good conversation, and we pray for each other. That's good. That's good. Right. That's not the way I wanted it. But I have to remind myself God's God is truthful. God does not lie. If God says he is good, then I must assume that everything is happening to me is for my good in some way. I'm not saying it's good that it happens. I'm saying God can use it for good. Amen. So the two mutable things are this. Number one, uh, God's promises. God cannot lie. Number two, God's oath. That is God's nature. I think about myself sometimes. My nature changes. And, and for the most part, that's probably good for Becky. Be- my, wife, my wife made a fool's decision uh, when she was 20 years old and married a 19-year-old idiot. No, no, I'm not joking. I, I, I say that and people say, "Ah, eh, you probably weren't. Yes, I was. Just trust me. Our first three, four years of marriage, maybe even the five years of marriage, it was rough because I had no idea what marriage was about. I thought marriage was about You know, I had a pretty good life. I uh, was going to Bible college. Things were going my way. I knew how everything worked. I got married. I thought everything stayed the same except for I got to come home to a lovely woman who would cook me a meal. And that's the only thing that would change, right? And everything else would stay the same. How many of you know that doesn't happen, right? No, that didn't happen. I had to learn that when I decided to do something, I had to talk to somebody else. I had to consider their opinion, I had to give up the remote every now and then. What's that about? I mean, there were a lot of things that had to change, right? And I didn't know that. And I, I, I hopefully in that area of my life, I have grown and changed, right? I change. God doesn't. I always ask people this question when we talk about eternal security because we, we talk about it a lot. The simple truth is we talked about it here a few weeks back. If God loved you enough to send his son to die for you when you were a sinner, right? This is the biggest argument I have for eternal security. Then you think he loves you less when you're a saint and reject you when you sin now? No, he's not happy with your sin. You've broken the fellowship with him. There is biblical chastisement. We'll talk about that in Hebrews chapter 12. By the way, next week we get the whole Melchizedek thing. You'll hear my opinion on that and you'll give me your opinion on that. That'll be interesting. Uh, but, but no, God doesn't change, we change. God's a tr- God is not a liar. God cannot lie. God's truth is always truth, and God never changes. You think about those two immutable things. If God made a promise, he will keep his promise and he will never change. There is a sense in which, as humans, we can make a promise. And keep our promise and be known as promise keepers, right, right? And I don't mean the group of men that used to be, you know, you hear that all the time. I'm not talking about that. We can make promises and we can be truthful, but we can also at the same time break our promise and become liars. God doesn't do that. It's immutable. That never changes. And so look at your notes again. Go down to uh, verses 17, and 18. I just read. Oh, I'm in Titus. Let me go back to the chapter. Uh Hebrews chapter 6 again. Look at verses 17 and 18 again. So wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto us the heirs of promise, show to us the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things it was impo- in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay home the hope that's set before us. We, our hope is, is based in those two immutable promises that God is good and that God cannot lie. His character doesn't change and he never lies. And so that's what he's saying here, verse 19. So what does that do? Well, that gives us a hope, a strong belief that God will keep his promise, which is now an anchor of our soul. I I like the old hymn. I looked it up this morning. I like the old hymn. Have you ever thought about this hymn? How many of you remember the old hymn, We Have an Anchor, right? I'm not gonna sing it if you're worried. Uh, But I think it's a great hymn. Listen to the first verse of this hymn. It says this, uh, Will your anchor hold in the storms of life when the clouds unfold in their wings of strife? When the strong tides lift and the cables strain, will your anchor drift or firm remain? And the chorus says, we have an anchor that keeps the soul, steadfast and sure while the billows roll, fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. I'm fairly sure uh, Priscilla Owens who wrote that, I'm fairly sure that's where that came from. This passage is where that song came from. I didn't look it up, but I'm sure Ken can tell me uh, later on if that, I was correct on that. Uh, some of you remember Ken used to do this hymn history all the time. Uh, by the way, I've been asked about that. Why didn't Ken do the hymn history? Because I told him not to. I preached too long. I don't have time for that. Got to get in the Bible, right? Let's get let's start preaching. So uh, that's what we do. Uh, but it's a tremendous song. And we have an anchor. We don't have to worry. We don't have to worry about drifting. We don't have to worry about God's changing. The immutability of his counsel is there for us. It is a solid truth for us. Uh, continue reading. Look at verse 20. Um, I mean, verse 19. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enter into, enter into that which is within the veil. Whether is the forerunner is for us, even Jesus, who made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And we're going to get into the order of Melchizedek next week. I don't want to get into that today. But that is a, that's an interesting study. And there are two schools of thought on who Melchizedek was. We'll talk about those two schools of thought. There's probably more than that, but two main, I should say, schools of thought. We'll talk about those schools of thought, what that, who Melchizedek was uh, or who he represents. We'll talk about that next week. But here's the a, here's a simple truth. You have an anchor. You don't have to worry. You don't have to fret. If you put your faith and confidence in Jesus Christ, he's gone before preparing a way for you. And if he's prepared a way and God says, I'll accept you based on that, that truth, I don't have to worry. I don't have to sweat. I don't have to, you know, I, I, don't, I can't imagine, I'll be honest with you, I can't imagine life if I believed I could lose my salvation. I can't imagine... I'd ever have any peace or any real joy or any real confidence that I was going to heaven. And that's all Paul is trying to say to this church. Listen, that's a settled issue. Grow, move past that, understand more biblical truth, grow and trust the God that you call God because his character is unchanging and his word is true. Amen, let's pray. Dearly Father, Lord, I pray that you'll continue to work in our lives. I know there's a lot of biblical truth here that we weren't able to cover this morning. And I pray, Lord, that as we take time, uh, we'll study even more. We'll grow even more. And God, we pray not that we do that not so that we can say we're a mature Christian better than others. But Lord, so that we can say we're closer to you. We can live a life that practically shows the truth that we're mature. We can be humble, meek, and lowly. And at the same time, the wise as serpents. I pray, Lord, you'll continue to help us to know the truth, to live the truth. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you are dismissed.